This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi and Happy New Year. I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Wellblade, BFM's video game show. It's a new year but we're going to look back one last time to last year and recap Kakuchopore's Games of the Year with its content director, Jonathan Leo. But before we get to the games, we're going to just get some insights into how they compile their list. Uh, we have a top 30 list, yes, but for this particular show, we're just going to focus on the 10 that we've decided within like... I believe we created the list around October and then it just went on from there and then we finalized it on December the 16th or 17th because we had to publish the list on like the December 19th and then it just went on revealing our top 30 games until the 1st of January of 2023. So yeah, how we actually got about this list, all the 30 best games of 2022, which is the correct list and don't listen to everyone else's, <laughs> is we actually, I mean, this is also based on how highly we've rated the game on our website. So, Elden Ring got 100 out of 100. So, it clearly will be at least be top 1 or top 2. But other factors also come to play because every game that we reviewed is reviewed by one person. It's not a collective. So, let's just say a game gets like a 90 out of 100. If no one else agrees with the game score and its, and its placement in like the top 10, then we have to bring it down to maybe even like the bottom 30, like, you know, from 20 to 30, basically. So it's, score is one factor. Um, group sentiment is another within us. And also how unique the game is. So a game that's a bit more unique in terms of how it approaches design and gameplay and how it all, and then it works will actually be higher compared to like maybe a game that feels very typical to play and has a bigger budget. But it's also like not just also about like our group sentiment for, for a particular title. So God of War is definitely up there because everyone else has the same opinion about the game. It's a very good game that deserves to be there because, and even though it's not really the most original, but the game does give a really good feel and it just shows that, yes, if the studios get back together and have their vision realized within the next 10, within the past five, three years to create this game, it deserves to be there. So we actually just reward... Uh, a game, a game's placement higher up based on its prestige and as well as its way of making waves in the industry. And it's not just scholar, in other words. Mm, all right. Is that enough for the explanation? Yep, yep, yep. I think that that's uh, very clear in terms of your approach because I think yeah, different publications have different uh, approaches to doing this, right? This kind of list. Yeah, because so. scores aren't just enough. You also got to understand like how it actually did help change gaming in 2022 in a particular way and how it actually... Would, would it create ripples in like maybe 2023 onward? I believe the top 10 games will, uh, the ones on our list. It'll create waves not just for the AAA side, but also on the indie gaming side to whether it's development or even game ideas or game design in general. So many factors we have to factor in, but it's a group effort. Uh, I like to stress on the record that yes, our best 30 games of 2022 and the top 10 games that we're going to mention here are all a group effort from Kakucho Pure. So everyone's opinion matters in this. All right. And what I like about the list, um, at least, is that it's also pretty diverse in terms of the types of games and also the platforms, right? Because you also have a mobile game here as well. Oh, yes. Uh, I guess we can start with number 10, which is Marvel Snap, a portable game that you can play on the iOS and Android. So Marvel Snap is a card game where you fight against each other in random fights with real people with a very, very unique mechanic created by 
the second dinner, who was actually led by a particular lead who actually created Hearthstone back in the day, when it was super popular in 2018 onward. So Marvel Snap provides two to three minute rounds of quick, yet very intense fun. Utilizing not only smart and engaging mechanics, like, you know, having three locations that open up as the turn goes by, as well as, you know, having the turn end on turn six. If the sixth turn passes by, game ends, you calculate the entire score. But it also remains fun as well and, you know, entices people to just replay it back and forth. And you've got so many deck styles, like deck formats and creations that you can have, you know, like, what's the meta right now? Or what cards are coming in? And will these cards actually work with the locations that are present, that are put out at random? And, you know, like how the every game's... Um, challenge weekly record thing will always have like set maps popping up more often so you have to build decks around that so we don't normally recommend card games you know because you know there's always a luck factor in that sense but marvel snap just feels like a game that just goes by really really fast really really fun and just encourages people to just you know and plus you know the marvel characters popping up is also kind of cool to see so it's like a nice little winning combination and it's a free to play game to boot it's also free for people to jump in all right. Uh, you mentioned free to play. Of course, uh, there are also a lot of caveats that come with that. Um, does this game have a lot of microtransactions? Uh, that's the thing. They do, but they don't really affect gameplay at all. All the microtransactions are all, you know, basically uh, window dressing, uh, cosmetic stuff, basically. Mm. And how accessible is the game um, for, I think, newcomers who have never played any card games of this sort? Oh, I just showed this to one of my friends who's never touched a digital card game before. He actually got in really quick and he's addicted ever since. That's how good it is. <laughs> All right, good. I mean, um, I was pretty surprised by this because only because um, it came out only recently, right? I think November, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was a couple of months ago, if I remember. But I mean, the beta has been out for a bit, but its official launch was definitely November, as you mentioned. And it's picked up a lot of steam since because of the where the mechanics are, how fast the game goes, and how easy yet tough it is to actually get in the game. And, you know, beating the best players out there. So I believe the PvP, you know, like the tournament modes are going to be popping up in the game in the future. Hopefully that will help, you know, have people practice with each other properly because right now all matches are dis determined randomly. So you go online, you'll match up against a random player based on your skill level. Alright, okay, let's move on to the ninth game on the list and that's Xenoblade Chronicles 3, a game that you've talked about a lot, right? Have I? Yeah. Oh, okay, I did, yes, yes. I don't think that's... Well, okay, maybe just a slight introduction. It's a epic GRPG from the creator of the past Xenoblade and Xenogear series, Tetsuya Takahashi. It has a numerous... It's basically like a sci-fi fantasy big journey about tale of child soldiers being used in a recurring war and how they're breaking out of the cycle and fixing the world from fighting one battle at a time. And it's got a really, really cool mechanic where you get to fuse between two characters to create one mecha-like creature. Do a lot of attacks, but at the same time, it's it's powerful, you're invincible, but it has a, like, a timer. Lah. And you've got a lot of battles that require that, as well as another mechanic that lets you chain attacks in grandiose fashion. So it basically stop time, you do combo attacks and you try to keep the combo going. There are set rules in this particular chain attack, how it works, but they're easy to understand and get into. And I have to say, like, compared to other JRPGs, you learn everything after the first eight hours. And keep in mind that this game is about 50 plus hours. It's got lots of quests, side quests for you to go through that are really fun to discover. 
you have a, a bunch of other recruitable heroes to join your party who have their own side tales and they're all very well done and told. In fact, some of them actually made me feel a bit more emotional, you know, and in a good way, in a good way. And the game's soundtrack is one of the best this year, featuring the greatest composer for GRPGs and games in general, Yasunori Mitsuda, and his associates from past Xenoblade titles. I am still a bit sore that the game's soundtrack nomination was robbed from this game. So this is my way of saying, yes, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 deserves to be on the top 10 list, as well as have like a its own pedestal for best soundtrack of 2022. All right. Um, I'm not very familiar with the game or rather with the series. Um, has, has the game always been consistently good or does it get like better, you know, as the series progress? Well, the first Xenoblade was great. The second one was pretty divis- divisive, even though I liked it. I understand why other people do not love it. The expansion for Xenoblade 2 was the best, but you require a lot of context from the second game. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is the best of both worlds. It's a fun game with the best combat system, the most refined combat system and storytelling so far. Probably the best soundtrack, arguably, but it's easy to get into. You don't need prior experience from the past games for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. It tells its own tale, easy to follow. It's only like the last maybe 5% of the game at the end where, hey, it kind of is linking with the past previous titles in a way, but you don't need that for to to totally enjoy Xenoblade Chronicles 3. You can enjoy this game very fresh without any prior knowledge of past games. All right, fantastic. Let's move on to the eighth game on the list, and that's Vampire Survivors. Well, actually, it's kind of two games. We're kind of like giving it to one genre in particular. The WASD games, the kind where it's like a top 2D game with old sprites. And the only thing you do, the only controls is basically up, down, left, right. Hence, WASD games. So Vampire Survivor and the free-to-play game Holocure is in this particular list. But I'll focus on Vampire Survivor for this for this particular show. Lah. So it's basically a 2D, you play a 2D character who looks like he came out from a Castlevania title in a 2D environment with enemy sprites also coming out from legally distinct Castlevania-looking enemies. And you basically have attacks that come out, like auto-attacks that come out every few milliseconds or whatnot. So... Your objective is to survive for 50 minutes to kill the boss that pops up at the end of the stage. So all you gotta do is basically shoot and kill enemies who come at you in waves, in like big, big, massive bullet hell waves. So you need to actually collect power-ups and coin. Power-ups so that you can actually have more, better skills and attacks coming up. Whether it's like, you know, bigger radius whips or, you know, fireballs that come out in slower intervals but they deal bigger damage and even like a time-stopping kind of projectile. And coins, you need to collect these because when you die, you get to actually permanently upgrade your character that so you can use these buffs for the next round and the one after that. Permanent upgrades in a roguelike, in other words. You'll die a lot retrying the game over and over again, whether, whether you're as a vampire killer in Vampire Survivors or as a VTuber in Holocure. You'll discover a lot of crazy power-up combinations, passive buffs, and game-breaking combinations up to the end of the stage. Or whether you die last. So you can be like a... If you play a cards right, it can be a walking killing machine at the 10-minute mark. Plus, when you get to 15 minutes, it's the swamps just get harder and harder to kill. Lah. And I think the reason why people are addicted to this game is because it's accessible. It's got a nice progression system. It's easy to understand. And it's got this arcade-style scorekeeping gameplay that 
just makes it... Oh, and also it's, it's music and sound where it just feels catchy. So whenever you collect a chest in Vampire Survivors, you get to hear like a... I guess you could say a gambling jingle of sorts. You know, like, you know, the slot machine, you know, you hear the sound coming out. You, you see like the roulette spinning and they get to, see, get to see what kind of power-ups you get. So I believe all these combinations, as well as a very sexy price point of US 5, or probably cheaper if you've bought the game during the winter sale. Uh, while Vampire Survivors is that much, about 5 US, while Holocure is free to play because it's a fan game. So both are worth your time. They're basically the same game, just different skins. <laughs> um, is this also an attempt, I guess, trying to introduce to your readers a, a different kind of game that's pretty unique, I suppose? Yep, yep. This is part of like why we create this uh, top 10 and make it as unique as possible because we want to showcase the diversity of our lists as well as, you know, the quality. I mean, if the game is terrible but it's different, yeah, we probably won't put it in. Lah. But Vampire Survivors is really great. I have had friends spending about 60 plus hours just on that one game alone for the entire year. I'm not surprised if anyone has spent double that amount. Personally, I think I spent about like, what, 20 hours? So I'm basically, I'm the lower spectrum. Lah. Everyone else has spent like 60 to 100 hours just on Vampire Survivors. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Uh, let's move on to uh, the next game on the list. And that's Pentiment, uh, a game developed by Obsidian and was released in November as well. Oh, yes. This is a very unique title because... Obsidian Entertainment is known for making sci-fi RPGs or actually, yeah, and also fantasy RPGs with combat systems here and there. Pentiment's probably the first RPG they have created that doesn't require you actively killing people. You basically are in an artist uh, called Andreas Mahler. He is a journeyman who is basically painting, creating manuscripts for an abbey, and somehow he is tasked with serving solving a murder mystery in the abbey, like in that abbey and the village thing. Uh, so the story takes place during a time of social unrest in Bavaria, with Martin Luther's teachings challenging the dominance of the Catholic Church, peasants protesting high taxes, and the wealthy using violence to protect their interests. So there's a lot of like all this old school politics and you know like, you know like how nuns are not given the choice to serve in the abbey. They also explain that in the, in the game itself. The game has like a couple of chapters. It tells us the story of Andreas Mahler and his influence and, you know, his actions that help shape the Bavarian village and abbey. So it's really cool just to see this. And the RPG aspects come in when you basically start the game, lah, when you're given choices about your background. Like, I, how are you well-versed with the occult or well-versed with medicine? Or where do you travel? Do you travel to Italy or do you travel to... I believe France or Spain, which one is it? And all your choices and all your options are all determined by the background that you have. So let's just say you want to talk, you want to figure out who killed what and whatnot. And how do you figure out a murder? Your medical degree could help. Well, your medical studies you did back in the day could help that. Or basically, if you're a smooth talker, you get to maybe charm females in the game itself so that you can get to the bottom of the mystery or get clues or whatnot. So there's so many ways to approach a game. And I think one playthrough is about like 15 to 20 hours. So if you want to play the game again with different background and different choices and, you know, to accuse a different person in the, in the whole course of the game, you get to do that too. Mm. Does the game have, um, I guess, the hallmark of um, strong narrative that I think Obsidian is well known for? 
Uh, not just that. The narrative is very strong. The dialogue is very interesting. But there are... Okay, I think the one cool segment I like in Pentiment among what's being presented... Like, this is non-spoiler, so don't worry. So there are always parts when you take a break after an entire day where you actually just go to some guy's house, like a bartender or your old printer friend or maybe with the Abbey, the church people, and then you just eat food with them. And then it's basically just a picture, uh, an image of like... You know, okay, I should mention that the game's art style is very unique. It's basically following the illustrations of from Tapestry and whatnot and how they're animated. So the food you see on the table are basically like low detail, but they're still pretty to look at because it's like stained glass kind of artwork, like mural artwork. And you get to see it in detail in that sense while everyone's just chatting about, oh, well, how's your day doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. And how's the murder mystery thing going? And talking about like hot gossip, you know, in the village and in the abbey. That was Jonathan Leo from Kakuchopori.com going through their Games of the Year list for 2022. We're going to make way for some messages. More after this. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com, joins me to talk about their games of the year from last year. We're going to continue with the countdown and the sixth game on the list is Sifu. Oh, a funny story. We actually gave this game like a 70 out of 100, but because of the new updates that's been coming in that makes the game a bit more accessible and with a lot more options... I decided to just bump the score up a lot more because of all the all the extras that came in like because the game came out I believe in February if I'm not mistaken and then when the game is up to like from November it had the game had seen a couple of new updates so we kind of bumped it up further because of that I believe one of my writers kind of brought it up you know like all these additions actually do make the game better than it already was even though like there's a tough fight in the second stage of the game I think you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. The game lets you choose difficulty this time around, so at least that fight is manageable at the very least. They did a lot of things with the difficulty and the challenges and also added new, I believe, new arena modes and new modes of play, so that's pretty cool. So despite... It kind of... It's not really... It kind of sucks that the game didn't get the recognition it deserves in certain game awards, but so that's why we want to do this for Sifu. We believe that this brawler game that looks very cinematic and cool and has a pretty cool story about, I believe, the sins of your father and forgiveness or so to avenge your dead master. And the aging mechanic sets this apart from everything else that we've seen so far. And plus the polish and everything from a small studio like Slow Clap making this game just makes this one worth replaying over and over again. So even though you've played one stage, it's not enough. We've already unlock the shortcut so you kind of want to play it again or even like try out the arena mode you know and you know use environmental attacks and see how far how far you can get to a stage without dying and aging so much you actually get achievements the younger you are la, when you complete certain stages so it's, it's like one of those titles you just want to replay over and over again because of its arcade-like nature mm-hmm. and also it just looks good too so that's also <laughs> a big factor yeah, it's definitely one of. Um, I mean, I'm I'm in that camp where um, I thoroughly enjoy the game, but I find the difficulty a bit hard. Um, um, so yeah, I did struggle to actually finish the game. Um, but where where do you guys stand with regard to them? I guess making the game more accessible because I think the purists they said that oh okay you know the the difficulty is part of the fun of the game, right? 
Uh, it is, it is. But I just want people to also... I believe some stages just feel a bit cheap. But at the same time, it's... Again, uh, it will teach you... I mean, playing the game through over and over again means that you'll learn by making more and more mistakes. But, you know, if I want to give develop a p- players a chance to play a game, maybe on the easiest setting, maybe for some parts that are really stuck at, they will replay the game again on a harder difficulty or maybe even bump it higher and higher. Sifu actually encourages you to do that just because of its mechanics and, you know, the fact that I believe the game turns gives you only certain achievements if you complete the game in its default difficulty. That also helps too. So if you're an achievement hunter, you want to play the game in its original setting lah, without tweaking much. Alright. Um, let's move on to the next game on the list and that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge which I think um, I'm not really surprised considering how much you again have spoken about how you love this game. <laughs> oh yes, I think definitely everyone on the team loved the game because of its uh, co-op nature. Six players teaming up, controlling the turtles and April and... Splinter fighting against the bad guys from start to finish. What I really love about tri- this game from Tribute Games and .mu is the developers took what they've seen in the old 90s Konami beat-em-ups, all of them, and basically just made the game bigger and better. Better because of the controls and the skills that you have to actually evade and counter enemy attacks, while the game's difficulty can escalate, especially when you're playing it on gnarly difficulty where everyone just can just kill you within like four hits. But basically, like even the, 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 art, the artwork, the music, everything just gels together and the controls are great. And this kind of beat-em-up is actually meant for like a co-op kind of play because of the team attacks you get to pull off too. So yeah, everything just basically comes together for this despite the game not being original. I mean... Well, then again, you could call it original because you don't see that many beat-em-ups happening every month or so. Well, the good ones anyway, the <laughs> ones that actually do stand out in terms of quality and control and, you know, having something that just feels really... you just uh, Games you can actually jump in and play. Yeah. Um, it's cool to see that um, at least the franchise have um, received a new lease of life and it's, it's still pretty much relevant, especially for gamers, right? Oh, very, very much so because they're using the 80s Ninja Turtles and they're very, how do you say, they are very recognizable for people who have grown up within that age set. And, you know, I'm, I'm guessing these these adults already have children of their own. They can actually have this game with their kids. It's a fun party game, basically. Fun mm-hmm. party game that encourages, like, group play and everything. And for nostalgia fans and retro gaming fans, this is a title you want to jump on board with. And it's actually available for every system out there. Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Mm, good, good. All right. Um, next game on the list is Cult of the Lamb. And I think, again, this is a game that you've um, sort of like said that will be on your top five games of the year. And yeah, I mean, it's there. And based on based on what I heard about the game, I'm not really surprised. Um, tell us why this game is on this list. Oh, yes. This game actually combines like the best of two genres, assimilation and roguelikes so the roguelike the simulation aspect is you're building a cult and feeding your followers and making sure they don't die but at the same time they need to worship you so that you actually gain their power for you to actually go through the dungeons hence the roguelike mechanic you have to go through different stages and dungeons within one stretch to defeat the boss at the end and to defeat when you defeat the bosses you're one step closer to making your cult better and better but you need to actually get the power from your cultists to worship you so that you're the chosen one going to do the crusades in the dungeons and whatnot. 
and the fact that the game takes this route basically just uses a really cute art style to juxtapose the horrendous things that you'll be doing to your cultists and, you know, basically marrying one another or maybe sacrificing them and having them ingest drugs to make sure they like you more and more for a set limit of time. So it's a nice little... I mean, I guess it's like there's a replayability factor with the roguelike, but also in how you build your simulation, your, your little village with the statues and the farms and, you know, getting more and more cultists coming in and, you know, recruiting one new ones and killing them off too for the greater good. So the overall concept of the game is definitely creative and funny because it's a satire on cults, for one, and also about religion in a sense too. But at the same time, you can't really feel grossed out because it's just cute to look at. Smile and giggle at the art style and everything because you got a cute little lamb leading, you know, leading against the lions and the wolves against the bad guys in the game. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and another game developed by an indie developer as well, right? Which I think is, is make, makes the achievement much more, I guess, remarkable. Oh, yes, yes. This is a small team that's doing this game. Um, I believe they're from Australia, Massive Monsters. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, the fact that I think they've done a couple more titles that are kind of arcadey by nature, but this one's probably the biggest break because of its subject matter, its art style. I guess the music too is also really cool too. It's got that chillax kind of vibe thing going on and a more esoteric haunting kind of, but also cute line in that sense when you're, when you're at the village. So it's a good, com- it's basically a combination of these two genres that actually works well as a whole package. And it's cute to play too and the controls are also really easy for you to get into. All right, yeah. Speaking of another cute game, and this is a surprise for me considering that uh, it made into the top three of your list. Um, Tunic, um, it's an isometric action adventure game. Um, well, this one requires a lot of um, our team to actually replay back and forth. Mm. We felt that this game deserves a pedestal in our top five or at least top ten at the very least because of its very unique... I mean, it's an indie game with a very unique art style and it's a familiar but fun kind of game where you basically are playing as a young fox stranded on a forest island and you basically just have to discover everything on your own. The really cool thing about this game is it doesn't tell you what to do. You have to figure out the path for yourself. So imagine if Legend of Zelda was a game created by a a small team, but with their own art style, with their own lo-fi kind of music, and a a slightly Dark Souls style kind of like combat system with tough boss fights and even regular fights as well too. So it's just a... And then it's just a combination of you of these factors as well as the fact that you are uncovering the deep secrets of this island and then it all makes sense at the end that you know you are and it's a journey that you want to go through because every new path that you open up will actually make you more curious about why the fox is stuck in this world and why it's stuck on the island I mean the controls and everything the gameplay is really fun but it's just the entire experience itself and the soundtrack and the art style everything that made us feel that strongly about this game Mm, okay, good. Um, um, for I think people who, well, I mean, I'm asking an obvious question here, but I mean, for people who are not, um, I guess as well aware of this game, should they definitely should check it out, right? <laughs> oh yes, yes, they should check it out because of its. If you are if you are a fan of like some an adventure game that requires you to do a bit more thinking and less hand holding, we recommend Tunic. It's mm. like I believe it's going to be the game that goes well and well with the. First game on our list, which you probably see it coming, like everybody has seen it seen coming anyway. But it's think of tuning as like a nice complimentary game to go with our number one pick. 
Mm. Like, if you want something like very AAA, hardcore, you go for the first pick, which we'll talk about later. But for the lo-fi, relaxing, but still challenging kind of pick, you go for Tunic. All right. Okay, let's 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 get into it. I mean, the top two games are pretty obvious, and I think you've alluded to both of them uh, earlier in the show. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, let's talk about the second game first, God of War Ragnarok. Um, I think we've spoken about it before as well, but let's just reiterate why this game is um, second on the list. Yeah, it's not really the most original game on our list, we can tell you that, because <laughs> yeah. it's just a follow-up from God of War 2018. Mm. But it packs two games in one. It feels like two games crammed into one. It's got an epic conclusion. It's got a very satisfying story from start to finish. I feel that, I think the only nitpicks I have for the game is it needs a better traversal system because it really sucks. <laughs> and the fast travel system needs to actually be implemented after you finish the game. I get that the game actually wants to have the story go on with, you know, and then the you're hiding the loading through the crawling of crawling the crawl spaces and whatnot, but we're okay having fast travel, especially when it comes to, you know, doing the checklist bits after you finish a game. So I would like that as an update for the game. But beyond that, this game is great. It's <laughs> like near perfect, great combat, awesome bosses to fight. They took the comments from the last game by heart and just gave us a lot of different fights from bosses to enemies, all different kinds of fights here and there. In-depth character development, although with some corny lines here and there, but I don't care because it just feels good to play through. And the spectacle, the vision and everything, of this is what happens when a AAA game is given time to finish up a game and follow through to, to, to their vision to end a particular series. And... God of War Ragnarok pulls off, pulls off that ending to a series in spades. I mean, yes, I know PlayStation is going to make more God of War games, but I'm talking more like the Norse storyline arc. It actually ends it on a very, very satisfying note. Combat, gameplay, puzzles, story and all. All right. And I think, like you mentioned earlier, this is not the most original game, but sometimes just because it's not original doesn't mean that it, 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 it it's bad, right? If, if it's done, if it's produced in the best way possible, then... It deserves to to gain that recognition, right? Yeah, yeah. Because of everything it delivers, it's just very great execution from Sony Santa Monica. It's just great how well it's done and everything. Despite the fact that it could be a slow climb slog for some, it's worth sticking around for the 24 or 25 hours I played for the main story quest. Well, now it's actually 40 onward because I'm just doing all the side stuff. And also because of the added traveling that's really, really unnecessary. Really, this game really needs a fast travel system. That's all. That's all I ask. All right. And last but definitely not least, um, a game that was released earlier last year, but that people have already heralded as, as game of the year. And true enough, it, it yes. also made it to your list as well. Um, Elden Ring. <laughs> yes, Elden Ring for PC, Xbox, and PlayStation. And uh, unlike God of War Ragnarok, this game has fast travel. <laughs> <laughs> but okay but, but I kid I kid I mean both games do deserve to be high on the list but Elder Ring for us is unanimous in Kakuchi Parade. it's a game that's challenging lives up to the hype it teaches you things that you learn from game design and yeah you can actually create as many builds as you want for this action RPG and there's no wrong answer on how you fight enemies and bosses the game is very challenging for it but you have the tools and the know-how to outweed outwit these creatures and these and go through these fights. Whether it's the optional ones like Melania or even the last few fights in the game involving like a Devil May Cry style dogfight. Literal dog, by the way. And 
a space alien. I know I'm kidding. It sounds like I'm kidding, but I'm not. You actually fight a space alien in the game. <laughs> <laughs> but generally, yes, this is a great game you want to play. Action RPG that emphasizes role-playing, where you feel like you're in a stranger in a strange land, learning about the game's story through cryptic texts, through fights, through narrations, and through item descriptions and glossaries and whatnot. It tells the story really slowly, cryptically, but you understand why the Elden Ring is created and why these Elden Lords are there in this crazy, unforgiving world, this fantasy land. And I believe it's basically the team from Software who took the, what they've learned from Dark Souls, Sekiro, and Bloodborne and just made an open-world version of that. I think what's really awesome about this game is if you're stuck in a progressive wall, like maybe Stormville Castle or um, the Capital of Light in the game, you get to actually explore the other areas and do find other secrets here and there to, so that you can actually get more items and get more options to defeat your roadblock. And what's also what's a really, a really cool touch about this game is, um, like when you play the game for the first time, when you reach Stormville, the map is one size, right? Mm. And then as you explore more of the continent, if you go to the Raya, Royal Academy of Magic, the map zooms out one step. And then you explore another continent, it backs out again and again. That's a really cool way of like, you know, oh, you think you're done? No, you're not. <laughs> this is more of the game. Until the, ga until the map zooms out all the way to show the entire continent from the ice place to like the sky palace you come across in the game. Mm, yeah, and I think because it was released, I think quite early last year. Um, I think um people have a lot of time to perhaps digest the game. And I think what was interesting about Elden Ring, I mean, from what I've heard from a lot of people, is that it's one of those games that I think will is not just a game of the year contender, but it might be uh, you know a ground groundbreaking game, right? That that's gonna be. I think people are gonna talk about it in terms of um the way it's designed and ev and everything else related to it uh, for years to come, right? I will tell you a little story. I mean, a little like tidbit here about me. I've played Dark Souls 1. I've never finished Demon's Soul. I've never finished Dark Souls 2 and 3 because I just felt the formula was a bit tiring. Heck, I don't think I even finished Bloodborne and finished Sekiro. But I finished Elden Ring. That says a lot about why this game, despite having Dark Souls DNA, is something that even non-Dark Souls fans can play through from start to finish because of just how it presents itself, how the basic tenets of game design, teaching you while you learn tr through death, will tell you what to do here and there, as well as the game's very open-ended nature as you ride your spirit horse, exploring different areas here and there because you're stuck at one particular point in the game. Mm, all right, yeah. So I think yeah, a lot have been said, and I think a lot more will be said uh, moving forward. Um, specifically for it's just a groundbreaking game. You are right. I'm yeah. actually just following what you say. Like that <laughs> sense, yeah. It's one. That, it deserves its pedestal of top placements for any list, and it succeeds. It matches up to the hype and then some. Mm, all right, that's great. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's essentially the, the top ten list. Uh, for Kakucho uh games of the year, um, we have Marvel Snap, and Xenoblade Chronicles Three, Vampire Survivors, and Holocure sharing I guess the same spot. Pentiman, Sifu, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Shadows Revenge, Call of the Lamb, Tunic, God of War and Rock, and also Elden Ring. Um, a, a very diverse uh, list of games there. Uh, but we also have other games that are worth uh, a mention as well, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, just a few honorable mentions. Uh, basically from 
I believe it's from number 11 all the way to 30. Mm. We'll just cherry pick a few. Mm. So Giga Bash is one game that we actually enjoyed. Malaysian made title from Passion Republic. It's a nice little co-op. I mean, it's a nice little group beat-em-up, basically. Like, it's got... I mean, it's just fun to jump into. It's meant for family fun. Diverse casts, as well as the addition of Godzilla and a bunch of his other friends from the Toho Monster Universe. It's, I mean, great controls, lovely art style, fun mechanics here and there. And it actually harkens back to the good old days when brawlers like these were pretty common in 2000 or so, like with Godzilla <laughs> Destroy All Monsters and the PS2 exclusive More War of the Monsters. So Giga Bash is a nice, fun throwback which I believe will have legs as long as the game gets, you know, maybe quarterly updates mm. or half a year updates. Yeah. Oh, I uh, got a couple more, right? Okay, yeah. so we have Sonic Frontiers. I believe that is a game that it actually elevated the Sonic franchise higher than from its Nadella, basically. Mm. It's a very fun open and Basically, if you go through, once you go through like the first hour or less of cutscenes, you get to actually explore the world as you see fit, as Sonic. So imagine a 3D Sonic game, but with open world mechanics like your Grand Theft Autos or your, I guess, your Marvel Spider-Man, basically. Mm. So Sonic is super fast. He fights like a speedster. You have a lot of areas here and there. And you got like nice, awesome 2D bonus stages you get to go through. So not much to say, but it's just really fun to play. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, our conversation last year about Sonic the franchise. Uh, do you think that this game... Um, is able to bring it out of that slum, I suppose. Well, it won't bring Yuji Naka out of jail, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it did bring the you know this. It did bring the it does bring the franchise out of a slum. You could say that mm. a lot of people have been living the game. The our team do, do did enjoy the title as well for what it is a really fun Sonic game with open world mechanics here and there and a nice little exploration thing going on. Uh, Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope is also on a top thirty where it's basically, imagine XCOM with a, with a bit more of a flexible movement system that lets you chain movement movement here and there, as well as put you, you, know, put you to places where you couldn't be at in like your regular game without spending a few turns. So basically one turn, you can do a lot of things, a lot of movement options here and there. And plus, you know, the missions are kind of fun. You've got like, and then there's actually some humor that actually can be enjoyed by everyone. It's slapstick and also some little back and forth from different characters in the game. So if you hated Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, you actually will love Sparks of Hope. It's a huge improvement. And it's also fun for all the family. Mm, all right. That's good to hear. And I, I guess, yeah, just, just to reflect on, on, the, on the, the, the list, um, are you happy with last year's releases? Yes, definitely. I'm very, very happy. Yes, it's. I think 2022 is definitely a great year for video games. I know I've said this for a lot of years, but I do feel that 2022 is the strongest one yet because of the melding of genres to the point where it creates a new genre. I mean, Cult of the Lamb just feels like something new. Vampire Survivors create, created a brand new genre for everyone to jump on board with. And all it took was just simple Castlevania light ripoff sprites. It's like, I would say like in our top 10, this is like probably the worst looking game if compared to the rest. But it's just so gosh darn fun, honestly. Like, you know, worst, quote, 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 quote worst. You know, I mean, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, obviously, I think, you know, you know, we've looked back and I guess we have to look forward. Um, uh, what, what kind of games... Um, 
Well, what kind of year are you expecting 2023 to be in terms of um, the games that will be released this year? I would just like more of the same, but you know, bigger, better. I I would like more indie games that actually, you know, have more of a showcase and feature. I believe we might be seeing a lot of Southeast Asian titles popping up in the next few months or so. So that's all I can say. And for AAA games, they're still going to be around. So to have 2023 be more like 2022, that's a great thing because 2022 was already knee-deep full of games that we actually want to enjoy and play. So 2023, if it's similar to 2022, I'm good for that, honestly. Like, we've got, like, big releases for 2023, like Diablo 4, like Street Fighter 6, which I'm looking forward to, definitely. <laughs> yes. And we've got indie offerings like uh, Space for the Unbound, maybe uh, Cousineer, and what else we got? Uh, Starfield? Maybe, okay, Starfield is a big game. Lah. I mean, <laughs> if I'm talking indie games... Probably not Hades 2. Lah. Hades 2 is probably going to be early access and that's going to be like end of the year, end mm. of 2023. Mm. But beyond that, yeah, it's the game gaming future is looking very, very bright for 2023 onward. You're tuned in to GG Well Played and it was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com sharing their publications Games of the Year for 2022. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.